0: God promised one man that he would father a family. And out of that one family would come a nation. And out of that one nation would come a kingdom. And out of that one family and that one nation and that one kingdom that all started with one man, God was going to use those people as his people, his chosen people to save the world. And that night in Bethlehem, after the promise that had been made to that one man, Abraham, after that promise had been handed on to generation after generation after generation, from one generations of moms and dads and grandfathers and grandmothers, and that promise was told and handed down to sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters. It was told to strangers and it was told to everyone what God had promised long ago. And that promise just kept getting passed on until Bethlehem. And then finally that promise came to the end of the line because that promise was being fulfilled. And for centuries and centuries and centuries of people waiting for the promise and hoping for the promise and walking towards the promise, as a baby's cry broke the silence of that night, it marked the beginning of a light that began to shine into the darkness that the darkness could not comprehend, that the darkness could not overcome, that the darkness could not arrest. It marked the beginning of a light which would be the life of all mankind. It marked the beginning of God keeping his promise that God had indeed used one man and one family and one nation and one kingdom to enact a plan that's gonna save the world. Luke writes about it this way. He says, while they were there, After Mary and Joseph had made the track from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem, some 80 to 90 miles, because Caesar Augustus had decreed that a census must be taken, and because Joseph was of the house and the line of David, he had to go to Bethlehem to register. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. After months of awkward expressions being made at Mary and being made at Joseph, after months and months of people whispering behind their back and all the innuendos and all the suggestions and after months and months of a lingering scent of what most people must have believed was a scandal or some type of cover up After months and months of walking around pregnant and perhaps trying to explain to anyone who would ask what had actually happened and who the baby in her womb actually was. And after the frustration of those months, and I imagine after the discouragement of those months and the embarrassment of those months and the fatigue of those months, the time came for the baby to be born. And it says she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And this was the appointed moment, this was the appointed time, as the apostle Paul would write about in a letter to the Galatians, that at just the right time, God sent forth his son at a time of unprecedented peace secured by Octavian, Caesar himself. When the empire was at peace in a way that it had never been at peace, When the empire shared a common language and culture of the Greeks, in large part thanks to Alexander the Great. And because of advanced infrastructure like roads and bridges and a postal service. When everything was just as God wanted it to be. After thousands of years of God providentially and sovereignly moving the pieces together like a chessboard And when everything was exactly the way it needed to be, the way that God wanted it to be, the way that God had planned for it to be, at just that moment, the time came for the baby to be born. And she wrapped him in clothes, and she laid him in a manger. When everything was just as it should be, if you wanted to get good news to the world, If news needed to travel fast because of a shared culture and a shared language and because of peaceful open borders and because of roads and bridges and a postal system that would allow you to send letters and information and decrees to people. If you were waiting on the moment to get news to the world, if news needed to be shared with the world, this was the moment. And God at just the right time sent forth his son Philip Schaff, who wrote about the history of Christianity in reflecting about the life of Jesus, he said that Jesus of Nazareth, without money and without arms, he conquered more millions than Alexander the Great, more than Caesar, more than Mohammed, more than Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all the philosophers and all the scholars combined. Without the eloquence of school, He spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet without writing a single line. He set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons and orations and discussions and learned volumes and works of art and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times put together. Yet that night when the baby cried out, the world largely had no idea what had happened. Everything was about to change. And in some ways, everything had changed, but the world, they didn't know it yet. Most of the world hadn't heard about it yet, but God had done something in the midst of humanity, which was going to leave the history of humanity forever changed so as she laid her baby in a manger and wrapped him in those swaddling clothes luke says meanwhile there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night and to me i don't know about you but to me this is perhaps the favorite part of the christmas story for trevor barton I love, I love the baby in a manger. I love the swaddling clothes. I love Mary. I love Joseph. I love the visitation of angels to Zachariah and to Mary. And I love Joseph dreaming and I I love all the things. But I love the fact that Luke decided to include this next part. That after this baby had been born, that there were some shepherds that were just minding their own business. They were just doing Their duty, they were fulfilling their responsibility. They were doing what they do every single night of their life. And everything for those shepherds is about to change, but they don't know it yet. Their stories are about to be forever changed and they don't know it yet. These shepherds are not part of the religious elite. They're not part of the social upper crust of Jerusalem. They're they're not at the top of the social ladder. These are not a who's who. These are not movers and shakers. These are not people of power or of wealth or of great influence. They're just shepherds. Matter of fact, they are religious outcasts. They're social misfits. These are a group of of guys that to put food on the table, to do what they do to get by and to survive in a very brutal world. Their very profession made them unable to keep the Mosaic law. They were not able to observe the Sabbath. They were not able to observe other laws of cleanliness and holiness. They they were excommunicated from the temple. They, They were not allowed to offer sacrifices. So in many ways, they had no avenue to forgiveness. They had no avenue to atonement. They had no mechanism for offering a sacrifice because they were unclean. They were disinvited. They were a group of men that had been told, hey, (laughs) this is a table, there's no place for you. You're not good enough. There's all kinds of things you're gonna have to stop doing before God can let you in and God is good before he's ever gonna make a place for you. There's a whole list of things that you gotta get right and there's a whole list of things that you gotta change. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flock. Lawbreakers, despised by most of the lawkeepers of their day. Not people that were mainstream. These are guys out there in the margin. These are not the applauded of their culture. These are the rejected of their culture. And then Luke says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. These are the angels that's about to announce the birth of the king for the very first time. And you would think that if God was gonna announce the birth of a king for the very first time, that God perhaps would have sent angels to Rome, perhaps dispatched you know, Gabriel to, to the throne room of Octavian himself to say, Caesar, I've got good news for you. Let me tell you about what happened tonight in Bethlehem, but God didn't send angels to Rome. He didn't send angels to the palace of the high priest in Jerusalem to announce to the head of the Jewish religion, the head of the Jewish faith, hey, tonight let me tell you what's happened six miles away from here. You would think perhaps the angels would have been sent to the Roman governor or maybe to a gathering of the up and ups of Jerusalem or the wealthy or the scholarship of the scribes and the Pharisees but when God decided, and, and we can't miss this and we shouldn't forget about this and we shouldn't dismiss it, but when God decided to announce the birth of his son, when God decided to announce the birth of a savior to announce the birth of the king, he decided to announce it to a group of misfits, to a group of outsiders, to a group of rejects, to a group of people who are living their lives in the margin, a group of people who believe for most of their life, they're not good enough, they don't measure up. God decided to announce his birth to those people. And it was a whisper of the ministry of Jesus Christ that was still yet to come. And I think we should all just pause for a moment because we'll hear the Christmas story told maybe a half a dozen ways this season. And we'll hear it sung maybe a hundred different ways this season. But to think about who are the rejects Who are the misfits? Who are the outcasts? Who are the ones that have been told? There's no place for you, you don't measure up. There's some things you gotta stop doing. There's some things you gotta change. There's some things that are standing between you and God that you gotta take care of. There's some things you have to do. There's some boxes that you have to check because every culture, every society They've had their misfits, they've had their outcasts, they've had their rejects, they've had the disinvited, the unloved, the hated, the despised, and that's who the shepherds are. They're a despised class of people, sullied reputations, not even allowed to testify in court. They were considered thieves and dishonest. You didn't even have to know a shepherd to hate one. You never had to have a conversation with one to distrust them. The only thing you had to know Oh, you're a shepherd and that told you everything that you thought you needed to know about these men that the shepherds appeared to that night a group of men who couldn't get to the temple of God a group of men who had no access to the altar or to any sacrifice for their sin in Jerusalem they had been cut off And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. You know why? Because that's what you do when you see an angel. You get terrified. If anybody ever tells you, I had a vision last night and an angel appeared to me. Really, what was it like? It was so peaceful, liar. You know, they're lying. It's not the angels we meet in the Bible. They're terrifying. Imagine the chip on the shoulder that Gabriel carried around. Every time he steps in a room, people freak out. It's like he's just used to it by now. But this was the night that the glory of God, the glory of God came back to Israel. And what a story the glory of God is from Genesis, when God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden and said, everything is good, everything is perfect. And it says that God met with them and walked with them in the cool of the day, that God's very presence, God's very glory, dwelling there in the garden with his prized, treasured creation, humanity. And then sin entered the picture and we rebelled and we rejected and we left God and we went our own way and in going our own way, we lost our way. But God was never content with the separation that came as a result of sin. Adam and Eve were forced to leave Eden, but God had set his eyes on making his way back to his people He rescued them from Egypt and he told Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle so that my glory may dwell with my people. And they built the tabernacle and they dedicated it And it says in the glory of God, the sum manifestation of all of the totality of God's power and God's presence and God's light and God's love and God's mercy and God's power and God's holiness and God's righteousness, it sat down upon the throne of the Ark of the Covenant. And God's glory was manifested by the cloud that led them by day and the fire that led them at night. Solomon would come along years later And he would build a temple like no other, a house for God like no other. And when Solomon dedicated the temple, it says that the glory of God, it filled the place. So much so that the the priests could not even stand to minister in that moment. Nebuchadnezzar in 586 destroyed the city and destroyed the temple. Israel was taken captive to Babylon, but when they came back 70 years later, Zerubbabel helped them rebuild the temple. But there was no record of the glory of God filling the temple of Zerubbabel. Ezekiel had a vision where he said that he saw the glory of God depart from the holiest of holies. He saw the glory of God move into the holy place where the table of showbread and the incense. He he moved past the holy place into the commonplace and then came to the threshold of the temple itself. And Ezekiel said, I saw in this vision that the glory of God is stopped for a moment as if to pause, to emphasize the enormity of what was about to happen. And after pausing at the threshold of the temple, the glory of God departed over the hills and from Jerusalem. But before the Old Testament ended, God sent a prophet by the name of Haggai and said that there's gonna be a house, there's gonna be a temple, and that the glory of this temple is gonna be greater than the glory of everything that came before it. That God was once more gonna shake the nations as the desire of all nations would come. And that night, in Judea, in Bethlehem, to a group of shepherds, the glory of God came back to Israel. And the glory of God was not a cloud, the glory of God was not a fire, the glory of God was a baby, wrapped in clothes, laying in a manger. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Good news, great joy for all the people. Good news that they couldn't even comprehend yet that people who were dead in their trespasses and sins were gonna be resurrected from their trespasses and sins and be made alive. Good news is that there's people that have been lost, lost in their sin, lost to their sin that are gonna be found and brought back home. Good news for people who are not right with God, but who will be made right with God, not because of what they will do, but because of what God will do for them, of great joy. Because if you're dead and you find life, if you're lost and you're found, if you're not right with God and you're made right with God, if you're a sinner and you're forgiven, if you're guilty and you're justified, what result could there be except for great joy? If someone is dead and comes back to life, what is there to feel except great joy? If that which was lost is found and it's of great value, what else is there to feel but great joy? For the person who's condemned, but told they can be set free, what else is there to feel but great joy? There is good news. It's great joy and it's for all the people. Nobody's on the cancel list. And the irony of this moment is not lost upon us because here is a canceled group of people, an excluded, excommunicated, disinvited group of people. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people, including, most certainly, including you. It's for everybody, it's for all the people. It's for all the people that you thought that they've gone too far, but you discover they haven't. For all the people that you may want to believe that's a lost cause and they're not. And for all the people that they seem hopeless, but you discover that there's hope. And for all the things that you've just decided to write off and all the people that you've decided to write off, it is good news of great joy for all the people for the people who can't get it right, for the people who can't put one foot in front of the other, for the people who can't check the boxes, for the people who can't get to the altar, for the people who can't make their way to the temple. It's good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you, for you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. I'm not sure who said it, but so many people have said it, nobody knows who to give credit to for it. But if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us... Savior good news of great joy for all the people because tonight in the city of David a Savior has been born to you or as the New American Standard translates it straight out of the Greek for you if you want to know what the reason of the season is yeah it's Jesus but it's more than Jesus the reason for the season is you and me and us, and for people like the shepherds, for people who had no pathway to God, who've been told there's no sacrifice for you, there's no altar for you, there's no temple for you. We are the reason for the season. Let that one just, let the weight of that just sit with you for just a moment. Because if it hadn't been for you, there would be no Christmas. If there hadn't been a me, there would be no Christmas. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It says, so they hurried off and the shepherds found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And this would be a night they would never forget. I would imagine this will be a story that they will tell hundreds and hundreds of times. I imagine it was a story that never got old to them about the night they were minding their own business. And out of nowhere, a host of heavenly angels appeared to them and said, good news, great joy for all the people because a savior has been born to you. Why did Luke tell us this? There's nothing accidental in the scriptures. There's nothing insignificant in these details. There's something that Luke wants us to know. There's something that God wants to say. Why these shepherds? Yeah, they were outcasts. Yes, they were misfits. Yes, they were rejects. Yes, they'd been shut off from religion. But why these shepherds? Many scholars believe that these shepherds, the lambs that they would take care of, were Passover lambs. That these shepherds were a class of shepherds that had been tasked with taking care of the flocks that will be used during Passover time that will be sacrificed in Jerusalem. Some 250,000 of them will be sacrificed every Passover. And so there's thousands and thousands of these. And the Passover lamb had to be a male lamb and this Passover lamb had to be a lamb that was without spot and without blemish because this was the lamb that was gonna be slaughtered and the blood was gonna be applied. And it was gonna be an echo of what happened on that first night when God brought about the Exodus and his people placed the blood above the doorpost of their homes and the judgment of God passed over them. God was merciful and God was gracious because of the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And many scholars believe that these These shepherds were taking care of lambs that were destined to be Passover lambs. And again, the irony is so thick because here's a group of shepherds taking care of lambs that are gonna be sacrificed at the temple that they're not even welcomed at. They're taking care of lambs that are gonna be offered as sacrifices that they have no access to. These lambs are destined for the altar where these shepherds are not even welcome. It was a story that I imagine they never grew tired of telling. Because sooner or later they would understand that not only had a Savior been born, but the Lamb of God had been born a son, a male, one who would be without spot and without blemish, and one who would become the lamb of God, God's offering that he would provide for sinners and their sin. That Jesus, the Passover lamb had been born, that when his blood would be shed, the mercy and the grace of God could fall upon us in the judgment of God could pass over us. Good news of great joy for all the people. 30 years later, it would be John, his cousin, who would say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And it would be Jesus who would give this message to people like the shepherds and other rejects and misfits and oddballs and disinvited and excommunicated, he would say things like this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. Not the temple, not the altar, not to the priesthood, but come to me. If you're weary, if you're broken, if you're bruised, if you're beaten down, if you're tired of the perpetual cycles of guilt and shame, because you know, you know, you know you're not good enough. You're not even good enough to your own standards, much less God's standard. And you're just weary of feeling like a failure. You're just weary of not measuring up. You're just weary of not being able to get it right over and over again because sooner or later, you screw it up again and again and again and again. And as hard as you try, somewhere you drop the ball. As hard as you try, somewhere you sin. As hard as you try, somewhere you fail. Somewhere you mess up. Sometimes you feel like it's small. Sometimes you feel like, okay, that's pretty decent. Sometimes it's monumental. Sometimes it's crippling. Sometimes it's devastating. And if you're weary from carrying that around, if you're weary from feeling that way, Jesus says, come to me. If you're tired of all the endless rules of religion, of what to wear and how to act, of what you can eat and what you can drink and all the things and all the boxes, if you're tired of it because you're just not good at it, if you're tired of it, if you're weary, if you're heavy burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest from that. And rest is a lot better than do better and try better and try harder. Take my yoke, learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you'll find rest. He says, I'm humble. I'm not arrogant because arrogance stands in the way of mercy, arrogance stays in the way of grace. Humility, it keeps us from being self-righteous. Jesus said, I'm humble, I'm gentle, come to me. I'm not abrasive. I'm not harsh. You don't have to be afraid to me, of, of me. You, you don't have to be worried about how I think or how I feel about you. You, you don't have to. I'm, I'm gentle. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Great news of great joy for all the people. Good news for those of us who are dead and trespasses and sin and I was. Good news for those who are alienated outside the house of Israel and the promises of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I was. Good news for those who are not very good at being good. That's me. Good news for those who go their own way and lose their way. That's me. Good news for those who were condemned because of their sins and trespasses. That's me. Good news for you. Good news for us. Great joy. Great joy for all the people. What is Christmas about? As much as you don't think so, and as much as sometimes that I don't think so. We are the shepherds of the story. We are the rejects. We are the misfits. We are the greatest of sinners. That's who we are. We're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. And we have no hope because we have no access. We are separated because of our sin. But I have good news of great joy for all the people. There has been a savior who has been born, who is Christ the Lord. So, if you're here, if you're one of our campuses, you thought about religion as not being for you. You thought about the local church as not being for you. If you thought that Christianity was about behaving right or voting right, or you thought that Christianity was about believing a list of things and being able to sign your name beside of it. If you thought that Christianity was about morality. If you thought Christianity was about rule keeping. If you thought if you thought Christianity was about behavioral modification. If you thought that Christianity was about a code of ethics to adhere to. And that was the heart of it. That was the gist of it. That was the comprehensiveness of Christianity. And you thought it all went back to those things. It's about how you act and how you dress. And it's about what you will listen to and what you refuse to listen to. And it's about the words you speak and the words that you'll never say. And it's, you don't understand why Jesus came. He came to the hopeless, to the lifeless, to the helpless came to those of us who had been cut off because of our sin. And that's the good news of great joy. It's an invitation to come, to come to Jesus. It's an invitation to come and receive the good news, to receive it by faith that you can be right with God, not because of what you will do for God, but because of what God has done for you. He sent a savior, he provided an offering and his name is Jesus. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he took your sin and mine and he that knew no sin became sin for us. And as his blood shed, there was a mechanism for you and I to be forgiven and for the righteous judgment of God to be satisfied once and for all. And Jesus became our Passover lamb. And he is the final, the final sacrifice for sin forever. That he paid the full price of all of our sins. And he invites all of us, no matter who and no matter what to come. Heavenly Father, remind us of the good news and the great joy that's for all the people. Don't let us become desensitized to it. And God, don't let it become so familiar that we lose sight of it. And God, don't let us get to the place where we let this Christmas pass by and we enjoy the gifts and we enjoy the company and we enjoy the food and we enjoy all the things. But God, we neglect to think about and to ponder what it's really about. a Savior, my Savior died for my sin so that my sin could be forgiven. My sin, which was great, My trespasses, which are great. I was hopeless and helpless. Lost without God. In need of salvation and forgiveness. And Jesus, you did what I couldn't do. Don't let me forget it. Good news of great joy for all the people. Jesus' name. Amen.